Hello, this is KZYX's Mind Body Health program. My name is Casey Johnston. I'm a local pediatrician here in Mendocino and Lake Counties helping host this show. A few weeks ago on the Mind Body Health show, we had Dr. William Vayner, a dentist new to Ukiah, and he discussed dental health, and I learned a lot from him. I didn't do the best at reintroducing him throughout the show, so just want to remind listeners that a few weeks back, it was Dr. William Vayner who was on Mind Body Health, and he's a dentist in Ukiah on Dora Street. He sees kids and adults. Today, we are very lucky to have Dr. Christina Lasich on the Mind Body Health program. She is a pain specialist who graduated from UC Davis School of Medicine, Go Aggies. Yay, Go Aggies. Where she received specialty training in physical medicine and rehabilitation. She has had multiple roles in providing pain and addiction medicine, ranging from private practice to directing community recovery programs. So thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure, Casey. Uh, uh, I'm very happy to be here in Mendocino County, serving both the Mendocino and Lake County. And um, uh, it's been wonderful uh, community to um, get to know. It is a wonderful community. I've been here six or so years. Um, and I also yeah, did my medical degree training at UC Davis in the rural health track. So. Um, so did my husband, who's an ER doctor. So we are UC, Davy, UC Davis Aggies for sure. <laughs> yes, uh, UC Davis has a strong reputation in promoting um, rural uh, healthcare workforce development, and I'm still involved with them as well. That's awesome. Yeah, I just uh, saw a video highlighting their rural health programs, and one of the things they did with medical students, which was so neat, they they did a bus tour of the Central Valley, learning mm -hmm. about all these different small communities and meeting community leaders. And so it is it is a special program there. Yeah. One of the things we start with in our program is just kind of seeing where you're from. How did you end up in this area? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, healthcare was a calling for me uh, from the age of 16. And I, um, I had a fast track uh, to uh, medical school, um, but uh, in undergrad, one of the little things that is known about me is I used to work for CAL FIRE, and I was a firefighter uh, for, uh, then it was called California Department of Forestry, and uh, I did that for five seasons, and I had an opportunity to, uh, to stay permanent with that career track, but I was still on a mission to um, serve the world as a physician. And, um, and I'm very glad that I, I stayed on that career path. Um, after I uh, left uh, my residency program at UC Davis, I uh, started my own practice, which these days is kind of unheard of, right? Casey, uh, could you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, astonished. Yeah, that would have been so, that even thought was so overwhelming to me coming out of residency. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. And, it, and, and it's sad because uh, uh, there's just so many regulations and, and challenges in setting up your own business, uh, liability coverage, et cetera. Um, so more and more, 
uh, rural healthcare has uh, become uh, uh, kind of decimated by private practices closing and maybe the lack of employment opportunities or even the, the lack of um, employers in rural uh, towns. And uh, that is one of the problems uh, for like specialty care and primary care in some of these smaller communities is, is there's, there's not really great ways to have sustainable employment as a, as a provider um, in, in rural healthcare. Um, and that's where FQHCs enter the world, isn't it? Uh, FQHCs like Mendocino Community Health or my previous uh, FQHC, which was Western Sierra. Um, and for those that don't know, that stands for Federally Qualified Health Center, um, used to be called Neighborhood uh, Health Centers. And it really is about taking care of our neighbors. Um, all of these health centers are funded uh, through federal uh, 330 grant um, that is um, regulated by HRSA. And this has allowed uh, people like myself and Casey to be able to uh, be employed and provide access to care. Um, so I entered the FQHC world, closing my private practice after being in private practice for 15 years. Um, and I realized that it's just not a sustainable model. And so that's when I joined the uh, FQHC world. And it's a, it's a wonderful world to be part of uh, nationwide. It's a great community uh, to be part of. Yeah, and FQHCs and specifically MCHC, it's yeah, it truly take care of the community. And I think MCHC is coming a long way too to improve the wraparound care. There's still a lot of work to, to, to be done, but um, you know, we MCHC has dental, behavioral health, some specialty cares, uh, you know, women's health, um, pediatrics, internal medicine, family medicine. Um, and yeah, so and I don't know if I mentioned dental, I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's truly trying to provide a medical home for, for the whole family, which is yeah, the more sustainable um, way of practicing medicine now. But there are still so many challenges. I mean, you've, you've, I was going to bring it up at some point, but you already brought it up. Just the challenges recruiting and keeping medical providers in rural communities. When I first came to Ukiah, there were a lot of pediatricians here. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of, you know, and a number of them were on their, you know, retirement age and, um, and there just haven't been a lot more coming to the, the community. And like we used to have a bigger EN, uh, an ENT presence and more, I feel like more specialty care six years ago than we do now. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, my role as a, a healthcare administrator um, has allowed me to have just kind of a little different lens in regards to recruitment and retention in the rural communities. Um, and part of the challenge is really um, the what what is the partner going to do? Um, so having opportunities in the community for the other half, because it's usually a couple that you're recruiting into the community, um, and also um, uh, 
the broadband access uh, that that is a, a thing here in Northern California, um, and um, and that affects people's desire to be in rural communities. Um, and so when we're recruiting for rural recruit uh, communities, we're looking for someone that has rural experience. It's someone like myself. Um, I grew up in Nevada County. I lived there since I was five uh, in the little town of Grass Valley. And I went back from UC Davis to my hometown. And that is the, the model. That's what you want. You want your homegrown to come back. And, and, and studies have shown that is the best predictor for being able to successfully recruit is people that have rural experience and come from rural um, uh, areas. Um, recruiting people that uh, are used to the big city, they, they're they just not going to adapt to rural life. It's different, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I would, I would mention too, you know, having people move back to their hometowns, they have a support system. You know, small towns often are tight-knit um, and sometimes if you come from you know close the outside <laughs> it's a little bit more challenging to you know make those connections and you know because yeah there's less of the urban scene to make these connections um, you know you're making connections through your work um, if you have kids through their school or their friends <laughs> mm -hmm. there's not as many opportunities as maybe a big urban center so I, that's been a challenge too. I think keeping people is getting integrated. I mean, my experience has been wonderful um, in Mendocino County from neighbors to coworkers to people I meet at the farmer's market. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I know, in, but it seems like in rural communities in general, that can be a challenge. Yes, it is. And, and so one of the reasons I stay in rural healthcare is that I'm very, just very passionate about it and and I enjoy being in the rural environment and I um, it enjoy um, a, a little more space, a little less congestion. You know, I like being able to get to where I need to go in 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no traffic. That is a huge plus. <laughs> right. It's a huge, it's a huge plus, but, but it is important for people that are newly coming into the area to develop those social connections, that social currency, we call it, um, where uh, you're, you're, you're growing roots. Um, and for some people, it's easy. And for some people, it's, it's harder, right? Mm -hmm. um, it was a big transition for me after being in Nevada County for uh, most of my life uh, to, to transition out here. But I'm going to tell you why, Casey. Okay. Uh, well, the air quality is so much better out here. I don't know if people realize how bad the air quality has gotten in the foothills of the Sierra. Um, but you have the smog from the Central Valley coming up. You have the wildfire mayhem from July through 
through into November usually. And it just, the, the air quality is horrific. Um, and so that climate change is really affecting migration of not just healthcare workers, um, but all workers. Um, there's been a big migration over to the Great Lakes area um, because of climate change. And, and so it, it is something that we're grappling with in, in terms of recruitment and retention, but also for our patients. Our patients are suffering from uh, poor air quality. So the climate change is affecting our health outcomes now too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I know of, uh, well, I have a few friends who I went to medical school with that it was a, it was a big consideration for them actually where, where they're gonna end up. And a lot of them ended up in the Northwest. <laughs> yeah. They actually got out of map and looked <laughs> mm -hmm. and read the studies. But uh, yeah, we, we do have um, beautiful, Mendocino County is, is gorgeous and the overall, you know, outside of fire season, the air quality is, um, is, is pretty good. Yeah, I don't, I don't miss those, those days driving back from the coastal Cal, co coastal California to Sacramento when the smog oh. was just densely okay. settling in the valley there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I, uh, this transition uh, was also a consideration of my my own health, um, and uh, um, and I again enjoyed being here and plan to stay for uh, many many years to come. That's great to hear. <laughs> so just reintroducing our show. This is KZYX's Mind Body Health Program. My name is Casey Johnston. I'm a pediatrician in Mendocino and Lake Counties. And we have on the show, Dr. Christina Lasich, and she's a specialist in pain and addiction medicine and rehabilitation. And I guess mentioning that, <laughs> can you talk a little bit about your specialty? I know you have, you, maybe later we'll get into more your administrative roles again, because you have quite a diverse past and current career, but um, what is, yeah, your medical specialty? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so my training was in physical medicine rehab. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, I, I view it as the ultimate cross trainer, um, someone that has experience uh, in uh, musculoskeletal injuries, uh, brain injuries, spinal cord injuries. Um, and um, our whole mission is to help people remain as independent as possible, as functional as possible whether they have a brain injury or spinal cord injury or, you know, an ACL tear uh, of their knee. So um, uh, with that said, when I started in private practice, um, having my own experience with a painful condition, I really um, felt very passionate about helping other people with painful experiences. And um, that was my focus, um, particularly people that um, experience neck and low back pain, um, but also neuropathic pain like uh, uh, diabetic peripheral neuropathy um, or complex regional pain syndrome. 
And so that that really became my my focus of my practice, uh, learning more about non-opioid treatments of pain, uh, learning more about um, uh, pathways to healing and health. And and part of it was my own pathway. I, when I was a resident, I herniated two discs uh, in my low back and I had three epidurals. I had a year of physical therapy and it almost derailed my career. Um, but I was able to work through that and get past it without having surgery um, and getting mm -hmm. to a place of being pain-free. And I, and I really strive to to help other people find that pathway for their own life too. Um, when I was in private practice, I realized that there were some people that were struggling with, with um, overuse of, of pain medicines and opioids. And I wanted to be part of the solution. And part of that solution was learning uh, about the uh, buprenorphine, uh, also known as Suboxone uh, medication. And this was in 2008. Um, and that's when I began my journey in learning more about treating substance use disorder um, and uh, being part of the solution for my community. And oftentimes we find that pain and addiction collide in a very messy intersection. And now I, I have the joy of being able to share my knowledge with other healthcare workers across the Western uh, regional United States. Yeah, it, that your approach of <clears throat> you know finding solutions, I think, is important to highlight. Um, you know, I'm a pediatrician. I see <laughs> where our our specialties are are different, but increasingly I see overlap. Um, just in the six years I've been out of residency. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, when, when to see, you know, I've see, met some teenagers kind of, you know, who are going through a painful physical condition, um, kind of already having this, sometimes having an attitude like nothing's going to get better. <laughs> and um, so I think just having that outlook too, like, no, we, there are solutions. Mm -hmm. um, and we, you know, this can improve. This isn't, a, this doesn't have to be a lifelong thing, but it takes a lot of hard work. <laughs> yes. Persistence. Yes, it, it does take a lot of uh, hard work. And I always say that that pain is a doorway to health transformation. And it, it is true at any age. It's really a doorway to health transformation. And just going back to my story, my own personal story, um, even with a year of physical therapy, I was still struggling with, with pain. And um, I picked up Andrew Weil's book, uh, Healthy Aging, and it had a whole chapter about the anti-inflammatory diet in there. And then I realized that I really needed to focus on my health from the standpoint of my nutrition. And that can be said for any age, really. Um, so much of our diet is focused on uh, carbohydrates and sugars. And we know that every time your blood sugar spikes, it promotes pain and inflammation. Mm -hmm. 
And so when I started to follow an anti-inflammatory diet for myself, then I was able to start turning a corner because I had already developed my core strength very well. I had a very rigorous home exercise program, but I really needed to help my body control inflammation naturally. Um, and I, and to this day, I have a very low sugar load, low glycemic load diet. And so the anti-inflammatory diet, you've, you've uh, hinted at what it is, but what, what is the anti-inflammatory diet for listeners? Yeah. So the cornerstone is what I said, a, a low glycemic load diet, that low sugar load. So if you look at foods, every, every food has a glycemic index, and that's how high your blood sugar will spike within the two hour period of time after eating it. So my favorite example is oatmeal, because it's easy to understand. And everybody tends to like oatmeal, but not all oatmeal is created equal. So your instant oat or your rolled oat is easily digested by the body. And so it spikes that blood sugar pretty high. So it has a high glycemic index compared to a steel cut oat or even an oat groat. So your steel cut oat is the groat, the actual oat seed cut once, right? And when you look at steel cut oat, it's very granular. Mm -hmm. So it's harder for your body to digest. And so it does not spike that blood sugar uh, as high as your rolled or uh, your instant oat. And that matters. You might think, well, that, that small change wouldn't matter, but multiple small changes accumulate. And especially when you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner decisions to make in terms of your glycemic load and index, that will accumulate over time into lowering um, your uh, inflammatory state. So the other concept of an anti-inflammatory diet is your omegas. And so people hear about increasing your omega-3, right? With nuts or flaxseed or, right? Or fish, salmon, right? But the other part of that is balancing the omegas, Casey, omega-6. So our diet are too high in omega-6. And the omega-6 is your corn products, mm. all the corn oil, all the snack food, all, <laughs> of, all of that is very high in omega-6. Even if you look at your meat, if it's grass-fed, it's going to be higher in omega-3. If it's grain finished, it's going to be higher in omega-6. So all of this matters to balance your omegas. Again, I really reference Andrew Weil's website. He has a whole section about the anti-inflammatory diet. And there's a lot of research that shows that it is very effective in lowering, lowering those inflammatory factors in our body. Yeah, in, in, in kids, I see 
a lot. I mean, the the diet in children right now <laughs> for a lot of kids <laughs> is is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking of the last couple of days I was in clinic and so many, especially junior high and high school kids, and they get a lot more say over what they're eating. A lot of them skip breakfast and lunch. They don't mm-hmm. want to eat at school. They don't want to drink water at school. They're afraid to use the bathroom because they're gross. Oh. Well, other issue there. Um, so they're limiting their fluid and their their food intake. They don't want to have to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to, some, some don't want to eat in front of their kids, their friends. <laughs> some oh. don't want to bring a lunch. And then they end up eating maybe some snacks from the vending machine, which I've seen the vending machines. They have, they have Takis. They have, anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Sugar. Um, and then, so, but a lot of kids are going all day without eating. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, spike these cortisol levels. Um, you get your cravings and, you know, they're going to the gas station with friends, getting mm-hmm. a huge thing of chips, soda. Um, so this, I mean, it, this starts young and at a family and school level. Um, there, there's the individual aspect of nutrition and then the greater family, school. Mm-hmm. Um, issues yeah. as well yeah <laughs> exactly and um and so both you and i are seeing it at different ends of the spectrum in the family unit um and when i explain this to people that i'm seeing i often hear why hasn't anybody told me this and that is sad now maybe they were told it but they didn't hear it or maybe they don't remember it but I think more of us in healthcare need to be talking about nutrition and food as medicine now I will say that um, those people that have partnership health plan can access um, a nutritionist at no cost directly from their home and they don't even need to be referred. It's their direct um, uh, telehealth access for nutritionists. So I encourage people to use that. There's a wonderful um, Center for Wellbeing in Sonoma County that has a nutrition program for families in English and Spanish. Oh, wow. Yeah, I want to talk about all the the your work in specialty care in a, in a little bit, but um, can can you also touch on the importance a little bit about you know sleep in pain management and mm. maybe how it affects our cortisol and our response yeah. irritability and all that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, going back to my own experience, there was a time where I I had. I was really hard time sleeping because I was in so much pain. I I literally would would cry before it was bedtime because I knew I wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night having to do tractioning and stretching. And, you know, I, so I know, I know how it is to live with pain to the point where you're not able to sleep. Um, and and when I'm working with someone, that is my first and foremost question is, is how is your sleep? I ask about sleep position because people with spinal conditions, it really matters. Um, I ask about sleep habits before bed. Um, 
and then we explore ways to improve sleep. So I found the best, the best tool, and I always promote it. So I'm going to promote it here. It's the Calm app. <laughs> the Calm app is great. It has sleep stories for adults and children. It has music, sleep music. It has um, med guided meditation. It's just, I, I wish, I wish that insurances would pay for it. It's just that good. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. Hold no. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's great. Um, but these are the types of tools that we need to help our patients find so that they, because everybody, every tool is not for everybody, but there's a tool out there for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, melatonin, um, sleepy time tea, um, turning off the TV before bed, you know, all of these sleep habits, um, because you're right, it, it increases pain, it increases irritability, it affects mood, cortisol level. I mean, everything gets thrown out of whack. In fact, there was a study a long time ago that I read about where they took perfectly healthy people that had no pain whatsoever and they deprived them of sleep for a period of time. And you know what happened? They developed what would be considered fibromyalgia syndrome. Huh, interesting. <laughs> It's just that important. Yeah. yeah. I know when I don't get sleep, I hear about it from my kids and my husband. It's, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, while we're kind of on the topic too, I mean, we'll get into maybe if we have time later, like medication assisted uh, treatment and substance abuse, uh, sub, um, your specialty in addiction medicine. Um, but while we're talking about kind of non-medication ways of treating pain, um, what are other kind of alternative, complementary, non-allopathic, there's a lot of different terms, you know, things like yoga, meditation, um, things like that. What are other modalities that you emphasize with your patients? Yeah. So just as a reminder, this is Dr. Christina Lasich mm -hmm. talking uh, with Casey. <laughs> so I, um, again, I try to help people find what is going to work for them or what's going to resonate with them, what's going to stick. Um, you know, physical therapy, chiropractic treatment, absolutely. Acupuncture for some people. It's worth a try. There are studies that show that acupuncture stimulates your, your opioid receptors the same way that um, medications would. Um, and also um, relaxation techniques like the um, meditation, because provoking the natural relaxation response, that releases the most powerful chemicals in your brain. The most powerful chemicals are not in the pill bottle. It's not by prescription. It's it's in your brain. So the more that we can activate uh, those natural chemicals, um, then 
we're more likely to improve health, but also work with the body to, to, to help it feel better. Yeah, and even when, one thing I've, well, not tried for pain, I guess, but it <laughs> found benefit too, is things like even aromatherapy or, you know, Epsom salt baths with mint and essential oils and things like that. It just activates a part, it triggers a part of my brain um, that can, <clears throat> yeah, help me get through a stressful time or, mm -hmm. um, so there's so many different modalities than, than medicine. Yeah, because the one of the biggest amplifiers of pain is anxiety or fear or stress. And anytime you're experiencing those negative emotions, anxiety, fear, or stress, you're turning up the volume on whatever painful condition you, you may have. Um, and so working with our behavioral health therapists can be absolute key to helping relieve some of that discomfort both physically and emotionally um, because it's very hard to 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 um, to treat pain just with pills you have to you have to address the psychological component that's also driving the pain and cognitive behavioral therapy uh, is one uh, uh, form of a behavioral health therapy that can be helpful helping to identify um, thoughts that are that are triggering anxiety and fear helping you to uh, recognize uh, when those thoughts and fears and anxieties are starting to control your brain or hijack the brain and then learning how to manage those thoughts, letting them float by like leaves on a stream so that they're not, they're not amplifying your painful experience. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, an approach to with like panic attacks or things like that, that mm -hmm. can be, you know, started with an experience of pain, but just how to get through it and know that it's going to pass. <laughs> that's huge you know with kids at least <laughs> you know just the reassurance this will pass yes you know, the, the feeling of not knowing or what's going to happen next or the worry mm -hmm. makes it yeah. worse and yeah yeah and with with kids too i mean this starts so young i you know there's been lots of studies now showing there's increased anxiety and depression in kids especially through the pandemic and you know the last few years and these increase, this increase in anxiety and depression in teens, kids, young kids, it does seem to exacerbate their experience of pain and affect their resiliency. Uh, resi resiliency is such an important skill. And, you know, you learn a lot of tools as a young, young very young kid, as an infant, <laughs> mm -hmm. how to be resilient through difficult situations, including when you experience pain and when yeah, you you constantly have this fight or flight sensation or anxiety or depression. Um, you feel isolated. It makes, yeah, it, what you said, it, it snowballs the experience of pain. You you I mean you feel it more physically, but also you are not as able to, you know, remember and use the tools that you have on hand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
And I, I want to, to differentiate between pain and suffering at this point, because I think it's a very important differentiation that we need to make. Pain is a physiologic experience and suffering is a perception. Suffering is, is the way we think about that uh, death in the family. It's the way we think about uh, the divorce. It's the way we think about the traffic accident. It's, it's the stinking thinking, that perception. That, that is where suffering comes from. And so there are people that have painful experiences, you know, physiological pain, but they're not necessarily suffering. And so at times, I'm not able to take away the pain completely, but I can really help to address the suffering because I know that suffering doesn't have to uh, be a part of someone's life, even if they have a painful conditioning. Right. That, that is, yeah. Thank you for making that clarification. That is very important to distinguish. And it seems like suffering too can be, you know, you mentioned like suffering the loss of, you know, maybe an ability that you have and that you no longer have with, with the painful condition, or maybe you'll get that ability again, but it's going to take time. Or maybe you've had this, you know, change careers or, or taking off time from your job or not yeah not able to do all the things that you want to do and that's a big loss <laughs> right right and so one of the ways to help ease suffering is to help people stay in the presence because when you talked about those losses of ability or loss of work um you often are are using the past as a source of comparison the past is a source of comparison but it's also a source of suffering I used to be able to work out in the garden all day. I used to be able to uh, work at my job eight hours a day, five days a week. You know, those used to be able tos are sources of suffering and sources of comparison. Being in the present moment, you're embracing what you are able to do now and being aware, just being aware of all your sensations in the moment. Are you aware of the air circulation in the room right now? Are you aware of your feet touching the ground? Are you aware of this collective consciousness that we're sharing in this moment? That's presence, the awareness. And I really reference Eckhart Tolle's teaching about awareness of the present moment. And the other source of suffering is future, future tripping. I call it. Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen to me in 10 years? Am I going to end up in a wheelchair like my grandmother? Am I going to, you know, continue to be disabled? What's going to happen to my house, my children? That future is a source of suffering. Um, and so embracing suffering is about staying or easing suffering is about staying in the moment staying in the present moment and that resiliency comes from finding different ways to use your current abilities 
different hobbies of enjoyment, different outlets for frustration. So finding finding joy in where you're at at the current yes current moment. Yes. I read a book, this is kind of cheesy, but well, I don't know, but <laughs> a couple of years ago, I read a, a book by Jewel, the singer. Mm -hmm. I can't think of the name of the book right now, unfortunately, but it's all about this. And it was really, um, it was actually, I found it a really good read. <laughs> I'm going to have to look for it. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but she just being in the moment. Yeah. And meeting yourself yeah. where you're at. <laughs> exactly. Now, sometimes, sometimes there is going to be suffering, you know, there might be a severe trauma that has occurred in someone's life. There might, there might be um, mental anguish that's happening and the suffering. And in addition to easing suffering, sometimes it's, it's helping someone embrace the suffering. And I, I like to, to quote Romans sometimes. In Romans, it says, there's glory in the suffering. Suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character, and character leads to hope. And even though our bodies are meant to deteriorate over time, our spirits are meant to grow. And that suffering is a doorway to spiritual transformation. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. And with every experience we have, every you know hardship or good thing that happens too, we do. We yeah, our spirits grow and we learn. Our character grows. Mm -hmm. One of my friends, who's a former UC Davis professor, of course, he says character is like a tea bag; it gets better in hot water. <laughs> I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> So I'm going to take a pause here. This is KZYX, uh, the Mind Body Health Program. And my name is Casey Johnston. We have on Dr. Christina Lasich. And this has been a great discussion on a lot of different topics. Uh, she's a specialist in uh, well training in physical medicine and rehabilitation and has had a lot of roles in you know, recovering from injuries and going through pain and suffering and also pain medicine and addiction as well. I was wondering if you could touch a little bit about that part of your career. Um, you had mentioned earlier the messiness when treating pain and addiction collide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that intersection is, is, is messy. Um, and um, I systematically, and this is what I teach um, other providers is to, to really go through some steps, you know, evaluating where the pain is coming from. Is it neuropathic coming from the nervous system, which is your alarm system? Is it mechanical, um, like a spinal condition, like spinal stenosis? Because that can help you deal, understand how to treat it. Um, and then neutralizing that nervous system with medications that are not opioids. Um, these medications uh, like gabapentin or, or Lyrica or um, uh, some of the tricyclics can be very helpful. 
because the nervous system is very sensitive. It's your alarm system. And so when you're dealing with either pain and or addiction, you have to make sure that that nervous system is calmer. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to be successful. Um, and then having realistic expectations, opening up a conversation, you know, yeah, you may not be able to do things the way you used to be able to do when you were 25 years old, you know, having those realistic expectations because we're chasing when we're chasing those unrealistic expectations, you're chasing that that ability to do things when you were maybe 20 you know, 20 years ago, you're going to be chasing that with pills, most likely, you know, so giving you some supernatural strength, <laughs> but that's not necessarily going to be realistic. Um, and then restoring health, um, checking the vitamin D levels. Ah, I can't emphasize that enough. There's so many people walking around with vitamin D deficiency, and that plays a role. And so when you're in this messy intersection, the crosswalk is that systematic looking at these different ways to look at pain and also the different ways to look at, at suffering um, and easing that suffering. Um, and then you can um, help someone stabilize their brain chemistry uh, by choosing medications uh, that are not leading to a roller coaster ride. And just for an example, a number of people are on either a oxycodone or hydrocodone roller coaster ride. And that roller coaster is because these medications wear off very, very quickly. And when they wear off, they trigger that very sensitive alarm system. That alarm system then produces its own pain. And we call that opioid-induced hyperalgesia. That's a big word to say that pain medicines cause pain. And the way they do it is they're causing a frequent cycle of withdrawals because they wear off so quickly. So if you're using that hydrocodone, that oxycodone around the clock every four to six hours, you're watching, you're watching your clock and you're taking it on a schedule, you're on that roller coaster ride and you know it, you can feel it. And what then what happens is you lose your ability to sleep because you're on this roller coaster, this, this chemical roller coaster, and you're becoming more anxious or irritable. And, and so the only way, the only way to, to, to get off this roller coaster and onto the merry-go-round is often by converting over to the buprenorphine product. The buprenorphine product is that merry-go-round that stabilizes the brain chemistry. And I have seen it with patients that once they're on that buprenorphine product, their pain goes away or it reduces. And then that is because they're not on that opioid roller coaster ride that's triggering an hyperalgesia, a increased pain response. In, in addition to the increased pain response, what are some of the other symptoms? I mean, like sweating and what are the other mm -hmm. things someone might experience? Yeah. So it's insomnia, anxiety, 
um, irritability, um, sometimes some gut discomfort, nauseousness or queasiness or just overall discomfort. Um, sometimes restlessness in the legs, restlessness. So those are all kind of mild withdrawal symptoms. Mm -hmm. And it's really because of this, this roller coaster ride. Seen it so, so often in my 22 years of practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, unfortunately, um, people don't recognize that the medicine is what making them sick. Mm -hmm. And if someone's is struggling with this roller, being on this roller coaster, what are some resources for them, like uh, locally or telemedicine mm -hmm. or? Yeah. Well, thankfully, as of this, every single provider can now prescribe buprenorphine. Now, before this year, we all had to, those of us that were prescribing buprenorphine had to have a special X number from the DEA and special training. But now that's no longer the case. Now, I still advise providers that um, want to prescribe buprenorphine to learn about it. But everybody in medicine can prescribe buprenorphine now. And that is a that is a major barrier that came down this year. So access to help is as simple as contacting your primary care provider and say, I'm on this roller coaster ride. I need help now. And are there, I know you've been involved with recovery centers or collaborations before. Um, what are like if you can't get into your, you know, it's so hard now to get into a provider. It could be, you know, months if you're trying to establish um, with the provider. Is are there other avenues? Well, um, one important avenue is your emergency room. The emergency room has what we call a California Bridge program, and so people can can get buprenorphine if they're in withdrawals or, or um, really having a hard time with substance use disorder, you can get help in your emergency room. Often the emergency rooms in our area have what we call navigators to connect people to care. So it's a major access point for all of Californians um, is through emergency room. Um, the counties here in Mendocino and Lake County are the um, uh, substance use disorder treatment um, providers through um, the Medi-Cal system. Um, so contacting uh, your Lake or Mendocino County uh, offices of uh, public health and behavioral health, um, they have services as well. Um, and they're also connected to all of the um, treatment providers in the area. So, so those are your major access points. Primary care, uh, your county uh, health services, and also your emergency room. Thank you. Those are great, <clears throat> great resources. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
All right. And so I just want to kind of pivot to your other roles a little bit as an administrator <laughs> or in, in involved in administration um, in different places you've worked. I know at MCHC you've done a lot of work with improving access to specialty care. Uh, you, you've touched on it a little bit. Um, I was wondering if you could update the community, particularly, I think, to partnership insurance, like what, mm -hmm. tel you know, about telemedicine and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, partnership health plan, uh, which is the managed Medi-Cal uh, program in the area, uh, they have a wonderful program called uh, direct uh, telehealth. Um, and uh, what that entails is that when a provider refers someone uh, for, uh, say, endocrinology um, or rheumatology, that goes to um, Partnership Health Plan uh, as the insurance carrier. And then they connect the patient to um, a program tel called uh, Telehealth to You. Um, and that program will then schedule an appointment with the patient for the specialty care, like I say, for example, endocrinology or rheumatology. And those appointments are done via telehealth, if you have the right technology, from your home. I, I, I mean, how wonderful is that to have access to specialty care from your home with technology? Um, so Partnership Health Plan um, is uh, very committed to uh, providing access to not only specialty care, but but all care. And they're actually opening up um, their um, uh, service area to uh, different um, regions. So they're expanding now as well. That's great to hear. And I know some centers like UC Davis and UC San Francisco, at least in the pediatric world too, have, I think in the adult world, for some visits can make them telemedicine visits as well from from the comfort of your home, not all visits, but but some. So I think we only have a few minutes remaining. So I just wanted to make sure we we reintroduced everyone here and left a couple of minutes if you wanted to say anything, Dr. Lasich. So this is KZYX Mind Body Health at show, and this is Dr. Christina Lasich on with us today. Um, and she's a specialist in rehabilitation medicine and, and pain medicine as well. Are there any closing thoughts that, or anything you wanted to close on? Um, I would just like to add that um, we're in a very um, challenging time coming out of uh, COVID um, and trying to get back to what is gonna be a new normal um, for all of us. and. Um, remember that hope is always in front of us. Better days are always yet to come. And if you are experiencing um, hopelessness in your life, connect, connect with someone that you know. Don't go it alone. There's, there's wonderful resources in all of these communities like Casey mentioned, school, church, um, the peer support groups uh, available in Lake and Mendocino County, get connected and you will find the hope. 
Thank you, Dr. Lasich, so much for being on the program today. Thank you for having me. Take care. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.